not to be outdone by Hunter who preached multiple chapters and the last time he was sharing from the platform we'll tackle 11 chapters of scripture today <laughs> I told Kay this morning I looked back at notes that I had written previously in a series from Exodus and the section that I'm going to teach in 35 minutes or so today was actually about 10 or 11 messages so uh, we're going to pray that God's spirit will illuminate his word in a very broad way but in a deep way it's our practice to take a book of the Bible and divide it by the chapters and verses and dive into those sections. But in this series, tell me the story again. We're looking at some of the broad narratives of Scripture, just reminding ourselves of those narratives, the greater meta story, if you will, of God's grace and redeeming uh, purposes and His glory. And there is no greater, I think, than this the narrative of Exodus remember the book of Exodus is a dramatic narrative of divine intervention it's a story of great faith and of course great um, redemption of God from chapters 3 through 14 it's a recounting of Israel's journey out of this oppressive land of Egypt into a promised land that God had been talking about for some time they were led of course by Moses who was their reluctant yet steadfast leader Early in the story is this unfolding. It's in the arid climate of the wilderness of Sinai where Moses, once a prince of Egypt, is now tending his father Jethro's flock. And one day in that desolate place, he sees an awe-inspiring sight, a burning bush, yet the bush was not consumed by the flames. And as they drew near, the Lord spoke from amidst the flames saying to him, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that voice instructed Moses to remove the sandals on his feet because the place where God had revealed himself was a holy place. It was with trepidation that Moses listened to God as he commissioned him to Egypt to communicate to Pharaoh to let the people of God, the people of Israel, out of that land and out of their slavery. Moses needed assurance from God and so the Lord promised to be with him and gave him a series of signs that would help him to understand there God the agent uh, of redeeming work commissioned his redeeming agent by telling him his name I am who I am and in that one name he communicates to Moses and to all of us that he is eternal and unchanging in his nature. Let that sink in. I am who I am is eternal and unchanging. Some of you are in the crises of change right now. I know some of what those events look like for you and others I don't. And although I don't know the situations that you're dealing with, just let that cover over you that your God, I am who I am, is unchanging. Moses needed to know that. Still filled with doubt and concern, Moses pleads for God to give him further assurance he wanted to make sure that God and his power would be with him so he asked for signs that could be performed among the Israelites and others 
And the Lord told him, throw your staff down. And that staff became a snake, a serpent. He said, pick it back up. And it became a staff again. Needing a little more, he said, put your hand in your cloak. And when he did and brought it out, it was leprous. And then God instantaneously healed him of that same disease by doing it once more. Moses still needed some assurance, though, and persuaded the Lord to allow Aaron, his brother, to go with him because he didn't think that he had the persuasive speech. And so there, Aaron and Moses would be the spokespeople of God, and together they would embark on this mission to Egypt and carry God's message of redemption to the people. Upon their arrival in Egypt, It was marked with confrontation and tumultuous series of events, of course. Moses and Aaron repeated the same request to Pharaoh over again to release the Israelites, but that ruler, stubborn as he was, refused to do so. And then God began to send a series of plagues, 10 of them, each more severe than the other, designed to break Pharaoh's resistance and to reveal the impotence of the false gods of Egypt and to display the power of the one true God of the Bible. And his power and glory was definitely revealed. The plagues included turning that life-giving river, the Nile, into a deadly river filled with blood. It was the cause of infestations of gnats and flies and frogs and afflicting the Egyptian livestock with disease or plague, as the scripture says, covering the land with boils on the skin and unleashing destructive powers of hell and then a swarm of locusts that came and devoured any of the crops. And then God sent an ominous darkness that covered the land for three days. Nobody could move about. It was so intensely dark that the scripture says that people could feel the darkness and then that final plague a death plague the climax of this intense struggle between God and Pharaoh is found in chapter 12 with the institution of the Passover and God instructed Moses and Aaron to tell the people what was about to transpire they were to select a spotless lamb and take that lamb into their home slaughter it and then take the blood and put it on the doorpost of their home. And that act of faith and obedience would be critical for them because it would be the measure of their protection as the death angel would pass through in this final devastating plague, the death of the firstborn. That fateful night as the death angel did move through and across Egypt, sparing those who were, whose homes were marked with the blood It carried out the death and the destruction of the firstborn of all the Egyptians, including Pharaoh's son. Grief-stricken and now overwhelmed, finally Pharaoh has relented. And in the darkness of night, he tells Moses, you can let the people go. And then chapter 13 and 14, with newfound liberty, Israel finds itself on a march and banking out of the land of Egypt toward the Red Sea. They left the spoils with the spoils of Egypt as if they had fought a war and had victory and carried the spoils out of the country. They did so by just simply asking those who were once their captive to give them those riches. And so they left victoriously. And Moses said to them, In chapter 13, verse 3, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord has brought you out from this place. Guided by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, 
the Israelites found themselves seemingly trapped between the Dead Sea, excuse me, the Red Sea and the pursuing Egyptian army. Panic struck them as they found themselves in that place. The journey to freedom they thought was about to end in disaster. Moses, however, told them with force to re remain resolved in that of God. He said, the Lord will fight this fight for you. You only have to remain silent. <laughs> That's a pretty good battle, isn't it? All you have to do is be silent. It was a much needed lesson for the people, not just for this moment, but for the years and the generations to come for them. Moses stretched out his staff over the sea. And if you remember in that awe-inspiring display of the power of God, the waters parted, creating a dry path for the Israelites to move across the bed of that sea. With hearts pounding with fear and hope, the Israelites marched through those walls of water on dry ground. The angel of the Lord that had been leading them and the cloud that had been leading before them now moved to the flank behind them and became the protectors of their enemies who would still pursue them. When the Egyptian army ventured into the divided sea in pursuit, they soon realized that the Lord was fighting for Israel and fighting against them. And there was seeming no escape from God's judgment and the disaster struck and God's grand glory and power was seen by all. The walls of the water collapsed on top of them, drowning all of Pharaoh's soldiers who had pursued after with all their charioteers. And the Israelites witnessed a miraculous defeat of those oppressors and their faith in God and his providence in their lives surged in that moment. Well, the miraculous story of Israel's redemption is so significant that the scripture repeats it throughout from the Old to the New Testament. Whenever God needed to remind people of his power, his glory, and his redemptive purposes, he would often bring them back to this narrative. In fact, he wanted Israel to be so clear about this narrative that he instituted an annual feast called Passover. And in the Passover, which is still carried out today by many Jewish families, they recall the events of this very narrative. One of the things that's most interesting to the story to me is that while the people were on their way to freedom, God redirected them by instructing Moses to lead them to the shore of the Red Sea. He was very intentional about that. Though the exact location is not known, the people were certain that they were in a position that was inescapable. How do you escape with the desert surrounding you, with the Red Sea before you, and these, the Egyptian army pursuing you? Well, they panicked in that moment, and God had put them in that position. I want you to hear that. God put them in that very vulnerable position. It was providential. Though they did not know it at the time, their compromised position allowed them to experience God uniquely. It was God who was bringing this scenario to a crescendo, a spectacular height. 
in which at the end both Israel and Egypt would know the power and the glory of God so much that the world would know it. In fact, from that day forward, any of the enemies of Israel would go back to this moment and say, oh, but their God, their God fights for them. So Egypt experienced the glory of God that day in judgment. Israel experienced the glory of God that day with his grace. And that brings me to my first reflective point. And that is that God reveals his glory. God is revealing his glory, and his glory is revealed both in grace and in judgment. And there is coming a day, the day of the Lord, that great day, when God's glory will be on display for all the world. When the Lord comes again, the whole world will see him in his glory. Now for the saints of God, we are rejoicing. We are saying, as we sing today, hallelujah. Hallel means praise. The end of that is a descriptive term for God. Praise God. That, that'll be the moment for us, for we will see God in his glory, and it will cause us to rejoice in him because he has revealed his glory by extending his grace to us. Need I remind us that you and I were in a position to receive God's judgment? The righteous judgment of God was already arresting upon us, but yet God, in his mercy and his grace, in a great display of his glory, put his own son on the cross of Calvary to bear our sin so that he could rescue us from the judgment, the righteous judgment. To God be the glory for that. On that day and every day until that day, we ought to be rejoicing in the glory of God that is evident in his grace extended. But let us not forget, God's glory will be demonstrated as well in his judgment, which is why it is so imperative that you and I take the gospel message to all that we come in contact with here and abroad, that we are purposeful to make the name of Christ known among the nations because his name is a saving name. His name is a glorious name. His name is a truthful name, and his name ought to be heard. Or how can people be saved unless they hear this gospel message? And how will they ever hear the gospel message unless we are sent and obedient to communicate it? God's glory is revealed in his judgment and his grace. Now, upon hearing that Israel fled into the desert, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind regarding their release. I really don't know why other than this guy had the hardest heart in the world. Not only was his heart hardened by himself, but God was hardening his heart because he wanted to reveal his glory to whole, the whole world. Maybe it was in his mind, what have I done? Our whole workforce has now fled. Who will build the grand monuments to me, Pharaoh must have been thinking. Who will build this massive country and slave force that we've had for these years? So Israel has left Egypt with confident victory. And yet here, Pharaoh determines that he is going to march after them. They're, they're thinking that they are marching in victory. Pharaoh thinks that they are marching into vulnerability. And so he sends his forces along with 600 of his top charioteers after them in hot pursuit. It didn't take long, obviously, for them to reach the million or so Israelites who had left the land of Egypt. 
And to their surprise, they found them trapped in the desert with Egypt and its forces pursuing and the sea blocking them. They must have thought, what fortune the gods have given to us. Pharaoh thought that he could break the spirit and the will of the Israelites, crush them. And then in that moment, the world would know never to defy him again. Little did he know God had a different lesson that he was about to share to the world. He would use Pharaoh's hard-heartedness to execute his righteous judgment, demonstrating his glory and power. And by the breaking of dawn, Egypt would know that the God of Israel is the one true God. He is Lord of all. Now, for Christians, it might be that what appears to be our defeat may actually be the stage for which God is going to demonstrate his great glory in our lives. As a pastor, I have opportunity to be around people and what others appear to think that there is great defeat in their life. When disease is pronounced and it strikes, and in that moment, people are thinking their defeat is at hand. But what the person in faith, in life, and in death understands is that the Spirit is assuring that the inner man is growing stronger even as the outer man might be wasting away. And in that, God's glory is demonstrated. All eyes on that person of faith. When confusion creeps in and we can be certain as God's children that we are graciously adopted by God himself, authenticated and sealed by his Holy Spirit, eternally secure in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and loved unconditionally by the God of eternity. And the confusion goes away. And when loneliness is experienced by us, we can be confident, confident and comforted in the fact that we have a friend that sticks closer than any brother. It's not our defeat. It draws to the glory of Christ, our friend. And then one day when death draws near, we will rest in the marvelous assurance and peace knowing that to be absent in the body is to be present in the Lord. You see, defeat for some is God's opportunity for great glory. Aren't you grateful for that? The Lord reminds us to be confident when the world is cheering at our humble demise. But there is no humble demise for the saint of God. There's only exaltation for those who are humbled. God's glory, which is reflection too. What others consider as our great defeats, God often demonstrates his greater glory when you think it can't get any worse than this God is just beginning to shine his light of glory in a brighter way that's our hope when you feel you're absolutely defeated God is soon to give the light of glory When Israel saw that Pharaoh was pursuing them, they quickly lost their confidence and were gripped with fear. I don't have a visual of this, and there's no movie that Hollywood could put together to help us to see this, and I'm grateful for that. 
But the Bible actually says that that cloud by day and the fire by night was leading Israel and the angel of the Lord. Leading them, guiding them. And rather than keeping their eyes on that cloud or that fire or the angel of the Lord, they put their eyes on Pharaoh, a pursuing enemy. It doesn't make sense to us, but we tend to do that. For Israel, they had watched God bring devastation to Egypt, crippling them in what they thought was their most powerful places. The places where their God supposedly brought power, but yet God crippled Egypt by coming against them and their gods. And they walked out of Egypt boldly and confidently with the spoils of victory that God had given to them. And yet, fear struck them at the first sign of trouble, bringing debilitating doubt and dread. It's part of the narrative that resonates with us. God has rescued us from the bondage that we were once in, in sin and death. It's a mighty victory, isn't it, when God raises us to newness of life by the Spirit of Christ? And then following after Jesus, trusting in him, we can face doubts and discouragement when we realize that Satan continues to pursue after us. And it's like he's boxing us in. But you and I need to remember in the narrative today that we do not have to fight our battles no more than Israel had to fight their battle for God is fighting for his people, soundly defeating his enemy. This is one of the great lessons of Exodus chapter 14, and one that is repeated throughout the scripture, including in Romans 8, where it says, for if God be for us, who can be against us? It's an important truth to know. Like Pharaoh, Satan fights to keep us as slaves of sin, he rides after us furiously, knowing that he will attempt to try to get us to turn back to our old simple ways. But we must hear the words of Moses as inspired by the Holy Spirit and stand in our faith in the presence of our God, in the promises that he has given to us, and in the words of his proclamation echoing in our heart and mind from the pages of that scripture. Which brings me to reflection number three. F fearing, being fearful, is to be occupied with circumstances. And when we do that, when we're just occupied with the circumstance, the situation, the calamity, it will rob us of the peace that God gives us in Christ Jesus. I need to remind us that one of the last words that Jesus said to his followers is, my peace I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. When you and I concentrate on the issue, the circumstance, the hardship, then we will have a tendency to take our eyes off the Prince of Peace and put it on the chaos and the calamity. And I can tell you that's like Pharaoh's army that's pursuing you to try to bring you back in captivity. Israel experienced this great inner turmoil and it was expressed by their murmuring and complaining. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And so what was churning in them, in their spirits and in their minds begins to be expressed in their words. And in this, it's an attack against Moses and his God. Chapter 14, verse 11 and 12, they said to Moses, it's, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Wow, isn't that crazy? I can only imagine the saints of God, the cloud of witnesses looking periodically and saying, Gunner, isn't that crazy for you to think and talk that way? God, with sovereign intent, brought the people right where they were. Don't forget that. This wasn't just happenings that was unfolding. This was God's providential guidance. This was God by the cloud by day, the fire by night, and the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, who is leading them exactly where they are to get them in this pinch point of calamity where they had nothing that could overcome their enemy except God. God does that. He brings us to these kind of truths. He didn't lead them into the crisis to trouble them. He led them to the crisis to give them a triumphant victory. He didn't do it to provoke their fear. Instead, he did it to perfect their faith. God intentionally put them in the place where they were defenseless so they could learn to trust him for their victories. And that was a lesson that was going to be needed over and over again as they're going to be instructed to take the promised land. You and I face many situations that the Lord uses to build our faith and our character uniquely. Author Pink, one of my favorite writers of days gone by, said, faith must be tested, tested severely, why? That we may learn the sufficiency of our God. That we may prove from experience that he is able to supply our every need, make a way of escape from every temptation, and do for us exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Which brings reflection number four to heart. God's spirit trains us to fear not, to stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. In fact, those are the exact words that Moses responded to Israel when they were complaining with great fear and trembling. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today... I love this line. You shall never see again. That's real confidence, isn't it? It's not just that they're going to be defeated. It's not that they're going to be whipped and turned back to Egypt. Now he's saying, look, you look at them as you look spiritually to God for the people who are pursuing you, you will not ever see again. Oh, that day is coming. Guaranteed by the victory of Christ Jesus when he resurrected from the grave. Guaranteed for you and me who have now been placed to the right hand of God the Father with Christ our Lord who rules. That day is coming. 
fear not. Let's look, look through this for a moment because this is a reoccurring exhortation throughout the scripture. God told Abraham, Abraham, fear not. To Joshua, over and over and over, he said, fear not. Don't be dismayed. When God called out to Gideon, who saw himself as a weak individual, God said, oh, mighty hero, fear not. The angel of the Lord said to Daniel, fear not. Jesus said to his followers, fear not, little flock. David, with confidence, said, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It reminds me of Psalm 23, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Where does that fear not come from, that perfect peace? It comes from trusting in God. And that's what Moses was doing. He was helping them to see not the enemy, but to see the victor, Christ himself. So fear not, stand firm, he says. Israel's salvation would not come from something that they would bring about on their own. Neither will our salvation come in any kind of self-help. Moses told the people to stand and trust God for their salvation. I like the way that King James describes this. He says, stand still. In other words, this is not something, some activity you're gonna have to do. In fact, what you need to do is stand still. I know it's probably not what your parents wanting uh, your kids to hear, but here's what Moses said. Stand still and shut up. <laughs> I remember some time ago, I wish we could go back to this. A little boy came up to me one day and he said, you said a bad word. <laughs> uh, when did he hear me say a bad word? What, what do you mean today you said a bad word? You said the S word. I'm like, oh, man. I said, what was that? He said, shut up. <laughs> so here's what Moses said. Stand still and shut up. I know I've had a lot of schooling. A lot of professors have poured into me how to teach and preach this Bible. But sometimes you just boil it down to a simple truth. When you fear, feel fear. When your eyes are on the crises in your life, when you're overwhelmed, listen to this grand theological truth. Stand still and shut up. That's a good truth. Put your eyes on Christ. Settle your heart by closing your mouth. Listen to the counsel of the Spirit. He will flush from your heart the deposits of the wellspring of God's truth that you have been taking in over the years of your life. We listen better when our mouth is not moving, so he's saying, be quiet, stand still, and see what God will do. God is going to fight this victory. And see the salvation of the Lord. See what God will do as you fear not and stand in his promises. Listen, listen to Moses' confidence when he says, the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. But before they would see in that way the victory over Pharaoh's army, they needed to see with spiritual sight, with spiritual eyes, with faith in God. And so often it's the case that the enemies in your life, that the calamities of our lives 
are meant to help us to take our eyes and put them on our victor, Christ the Lord. So one of my favorite parts of the narrative is in chapter 14, verse 19, where Moses told the people, then the angel of, of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. And the pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The clouds settled between the Egyptians and the Israelite camps. <laughs> As the Lord's agent of redemption is telling them, watch what God is going to do, God is flanking. He's moving around to the backside. He's separating Israel from their enemies. He's guarding. He's keeping the enemy from pursuing them. He's placing himself in between Israel and their old way of life, the slavery that they once experienced. They were not going to go back to that, for God was standing in the way. He had redeemed them. He was about to bring them through the baptismal waters of the Red Sea. And now he is going to provide for them the safety and the security that they so are hungry for what a display of God's love and God's provision can I remind you that in our salvation the Lord puts Christ between us and our old ways of living that old enslavement to sin that used to chain us and keep us bound to it that once held us captive the Lord stands between us in that life the enemy may come against us and he may be pursuing us with a hot pursuit breathing out threats against us he may desire to bring us back to the enslavement of sin and rob us of peace and joy but to do so he'll have to come through Jesus Christ on the cross he'll have to come through the resurrection and the empty tomb he'll have to come through the mighty one who ascended to the right hand of the father and that didn't work out very well back then and it's not working out today God is for us and when the enemy's whispering this is just the way you are. Jesus is behind you and say, uh-uh, buddy. No, it's not. And when the enemy is telling you that you're defeated, that life is always going to be in the mess that it is right now, the Lord Jesus is behind you saying, oh, no. You are more than conquerors through me. And when you wonder and doubt and confusion, the Lord Jesus is behind you. And he's saying, oh no, my death, my resurrection is sufficient. Aren't you grateful for that truth? Which brings me to that final reflection. Jesus Christ is the impenetrable barrier between you and your disastrous past what a barrier he is what might he has so stand you have only to be quiet look to your redeemer let's pray in this narrative Lord you have reminded us of the great victory of Israel but even more you've reminded us of the great victory that we have in Jesus Christ Thank you. For some, you've gathered into this place and they have never surrendered to the truth of the gospel of Christ. May this be the day that they repent of their sin 
and stand in faith in Christ and his promises. His accomplishment on the cross, his accomplishment at the tomb, and his accomplishment, which is now evident that he sits at the right hand as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Today, Lord, I pray that you're pouring out grace and calling people to receive that great truth and that today they would move from a slavery point in sin and death, be set free in the name of Jesus Christ, liberated by him to walk in a new way of life from this day forward. Let them receive that by faith, I pray. And the gracious, holy, righteous, valiant, victorious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.